Welcome to Bleacher Blum, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now, the current master of banter for the Houston Astros television broadcast team, Blummer. Here we go. Gates are opening up. The bleachers are open. And first of all, I want to tell everybody, come on, ride the train and ride it. That was 1996. The Quad City DJs came out with Come On Ride the Train. And everybody who's listening to this podcast or even knows about Garrett Cole knows I'm talking about the Cole train that ran through Tampa Bay last night and propelled the Astros into the American League Championship Series. There will be plenty of talk on that, but I just had to get those lyrics out there and let you know that in 1996, the Quad City DJs came out with Come On Ride the Train and guess what? 1996, I'm in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania in double A. And guess what our song was when we went to the double A championship? Come on, ride the train by the Quad City DJs. So a little shout out to them and a little reminiscing on my part going back to double A when we won our first championship. And an interesting story about that is in 1998, I went back to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania on a rehab assignment because I had elbow surgery and helped them win the double-A championship in 1998. Rick Sweet was our manager. Guess who our pitching coach was? Brent Strom. So I've got strong ties to Brent Strom going all the way back to 1996. But enough about that. We will move forward. It's been an excellent week in baseball. The American League Championship Series is now decided. The National League Championship Series is decided. Two teams in it I did not think would be in it. Uh, the Nats and Cards have won their way into that. And, of course, the Astros-Yankees heading into the American League Championship Series. We'll talk about that. Um, Tuttleman, how are we doing? You all right, dude? I'm doing awesome, yeah. Had a, we, I love doing two podcasts in one week. We promised the, uh, promised the folks that we'd get after it. And uh, here we are. Playoff baseball is upon us. The, my girls uh, have been away at science camp this week. Oh. So the house has been, uh, yeah, like crickets around here. And, uh, yeah, I'm, do, I'm doing great. That's awesome. Plenty of time to do your own thing and not have to worry about pickup schedules or practices and things like that. Uh, it's been a good week for me out here in Houston. Obviously, I got to go to game five last night. That was an epic moment watching Garrett Cole do his thing. Uh, but it's also fun in the offseason for me that I'm able to do some other things, maybe freelance a little bit because I'm, I'm exclusive to the Astros in the sense that when they have me work, I work for them. And when I don't, I have opportunities to do things out in the community. And I recently got to go speak uh, to Toyota and Lexus. They had a huge group that they're trying to motivate heading into uh, the end of the year and into the new year. They're trying to revamp uh, their marketing and sales groups. And I had a chance to talk about leadership and teamwork and stuff like that. So I had a blast doing that. And if there's any interest for anybody out there, of course, you can go to bleacherblums.com and hop into the mailbag or get on my uh I think uh, get to know more about Blummer and you can send me a direct message on if that's something that's interests you because I do enjoy that. It's been a lot of fun. It's nice to have an impact and tell some stories and have a good time with uh, some people out there in the community. And speaking of getting in the community, this week is the week of the Houston Open also. I don't know how the front office of the Astros is handling the whole situation because everybody I see in the marketing department looks a little frazzled but excited at the same time because they're burning kind of the candle at both ends. They're up early and up in Humble, Texas, at the Golf Club of Houston, putting on the uh, Houston Open for the first time with the Astros Foundation logo on it. And they've done a phenomenal job. Things are going well. The weather is a little bit sketchy uh, today, but uh, I'll talk about that a little bit later. 
but I got invited to go play in the Celebrity Pro-Am, and I've never done this before at this level for a PGA Tour event. So I'm incredibly excited about it. But at the same time, if there's a gallery, I've never hit in front of a gallery other than in front of uh, people at Minute Maid Park when we were promoting the Houston Open. I don't know if you heard about this, Tuttle, but we did an 85-yard chip shot to a pin, and it was me, Steve Sparks, Todd Callis, and Jonathan Vegas. And I, I over-boogied a little bit, and I said, well, you know, when you're putting for a birdie, you never want to be the guy that comes up short. So in the chipping contest, I definitely was not the guy that came up short. I think I hit my 85 shot, 85 yard shot, about 125. Have you ever hit in front of a gallery like that, Tuttle? I have not. Just you and John Adams. That's the biggest gallery <laughs> I've ever had on the uh, on the tee box. No, uh, I, I haven't, and I, I would be nervous. So I actually have again. You know, maybe this will be tales from the bench. This is secondhand story, but uh, sat down with Matt Williams one time. Uh, third base coach, Giants, third baseman, all those guys, Diamondback, third baseman. And uh, he talked about the first time he ever got invited to play up at Pebble Beach in the Pro-Am after his all-star year with San Francisco. And just hearing that story made my palms sweaty. (laughs) Because, I mean, the the gallery is thinking, all right, yeah. Hey, dude, you're not helping me at all, man. (laughs) I know. I know. I'm just sorry. Just you. I'll give you (laughs) give Matt a call and, you know, see if that'll warm you up. Yeah. So I would just, you know, I, I like you said, I, you're not playing with the actual pros in this. You're on the another course in the Celebrity Pro-Am. And so I think hopefully the gallery is a little lighter and maybe you can kind of holler to scooch back. But yeah, Matt Williams said, you know, here's the guy that's grip it and rip it, right? A baseball field and the gallery's tight. I mean, you know, if the, if the fairways, let's say the fairways 30 yards wide, the gallery's, you know, 45 yards wide right there on the right on the fringes. And they all peer down. You can see me on the phone, but they kind of like peer in like to the, you know, yeah. and uh, he said he was nervous. So I, I'm, I'm sorry. I can't help you. I've never done it, but him telling the story made me nervous. So I, I think you have a, a right to be nervous, but I think it would be different if you were teeing off with, uh, with um, like Sergio Garcia or Rory McIlroy or any other big stars that are, that are playing. And I, I think you have probably an advantage that the gallery might be a little bit lighter in the uh, yes. Houston Celebrity Pro-Am side. So. Yeah, that's good news. I will uh, keep you guys updated on that as far as playing in that tournament and how things go. Hopefully I don't wipe anybody out and have to pay for any uh, new <laughs> dental programs. But uh, it, it has been a good week. Uh, there's also something else I want to warn everybody out there. With the Astros going to the American League Championship Series and all the complaints about the broadcasters during these playoff games, I will be very happy to let you know and i'm probably letting the cat out of the bag too early so hopefully saint arnold doesn't get upset with me but uh i I will pray to the saint arnold later and you know and 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 maybe uh baptize myself in that prayer yeah (laughs) baptize myself in a in a in a in our car ipa or something but uh they go on the road game three is going to be october 15th in new york and I believe that St. Arnold is going to be doing a watch party that day. So mark that date on your calendar, October 15th. And once we get the game time on that, we'll get back to you, but uh, I will be there. I'm going to go to St. Arnold for a watch party. We're going to do a Facebook live type situation. So should be pretty interesting. Just mark that on your calendars and we'll try and keep you updated on that because I'm sure we'll have a podcast out before that whole event goes down. And talking about the website, bleacherblums.com, a couple of people getting at us again, aren't they total? 
They are with uh, regularity, and we love it. So this is uh, not a question, but a compliment. So we definitely have to read that. So this Wait, is from what? Yeah, what? <laughs> um, so this is from uh, from Anita K. Anita K says, "Hey guys, not a question, but a compliment. Been having a little TK and Blummer withdrawals since the end of the season. So my my son, excuse me, my son told me about the podcast, and I've listened to two installments." You guys are great, funny and engaging, and with a wealth of baseball knowledge. Boy, I can read that every podcast. I'm just going to make up different names and be like, hey, Blummer, we got another one and just switch the, switch the context around. You guys are great, funny and engaging. Not a question, but a compliment. I've been having withdrawal, like, you know, just kind of move the pieces around. But uh, thank you for all you do. Go Astros. That's from Anita. And Anita, we can't, uh, we can't tell you how much we appreciate that. Uh, we're making an impact with a maybe in a small little neck of the woods, but uh, but it makes us happy. No, we're happy in this pocket that we have created, and we love that the fans are interactive and engaged. And I appreciate the fact that Anita took the time, get on the website, send that email because you're right. You know, in this day and age where everybody's so quick to 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 judge or criticize, we greatly appreciate the fact that we are getting the encouragement because a lot of what Tuttle and I do on this podcast is because of the fans. And having kind of cruised around the concourses now in some of these playoff games, you'd be surprised, Tuttle, how many people actually come up to me and go, when's the next one coming out? So the people are subscribing, they're rating, reviewing, so we love all that. We appreciate it. But kudos to Anita for making our podcast, for making us feel good. Absolutely. I thought you were going to say people walk up to you walking around the stadium and they go, where's Tuttle? Well, I thought you guys traveled together, but... I'm mistaken. They just want to know when the next podcast is coming out, and I and I can I can relate to that. So uh, this one's from Justin T. And Justin T. has a very simple, straightforward question. He says, "How many times is Joe Girardi going to say AJ in this series?" <laughs> um, the the series is over, but I I think that the question came in prior to the end of the five game series. So uh, I, I I'm sure that's a fairly rhetorical question, and and you already pointed out that. AJ Hinch is the manager of the Astros, but he's also working with AJ Pruszynski in the booth. So I, I think he said AJ probably more times than uh, than any of us could handle. I'm just gonna say that we might all be AJ'd out, and it, we're, we're, no more. <laughs> and the last question <laughs> from Dave. <laughs> Moving D. on. And this is a this is a whole nother topic, and so that's why I saved it for last. But from Dave D. Uh, he says, Jeff and David, I heard that my whole life. My brother's name is Jeff, as you know. Jeff and David, oh no, get over here. Uh, Jeff and David, there's some particularly interesting reporting from Baseball Prospectus out this morning regarding changes to the baseball. I'm interested to hear if you have any thoughts on the baseball having been changed for the 2019 postseason. There seems to be strong indication that this was done intentionally by Major League Baseball. It occurs to me that changing how the ball flies fundamentally alters the risks and rewards of particular styles of play. Just in case you haven't already seen it, here are a couple of the links. And he sent the articles. And and you and I have talked about this um, on more than one podcast about the fact that, that Major League Baseball did purchase Rawlings and change the balls with a, without a lot of uh, consultation from the players. Uh, I think it looks like Dave's asking more specifically about the postseason. But I think he makes kind of the fundamental point, which is awesome, which is this changes the way you manage your baseball team, risk rewards. I mean, Justin Verlander, one of the best players in the game, kind of the only, I don't know, chink in his armor, for lack of a better term, 
is the is the long ball. And we saw that last time with Garrett Cole. They put in Sogard, and Cash looks like a genius. They're like, hey, Sogard went yard. Okay. But, uh, but obviously, you know, I'll defer to you on that. I mean, this is something that's going to be a conversation now that steroids are mostly out of the game and we're setting home run record after home run record after home run record. I, I, I'm surprised this, this hasn't gotten more, uh, more traction and been discussed more. And maybe you could provide some insight into what the players are saying kind of under their breath. And, and, and is this going to be something that we discuss more heavily in the offseason? I think that's the point. I think we will talk about this a little bit more in the offseason because let's be honest, we're not going to find out anything until the postseason is over. They're just going to let this thing play out and be like, oh, we don't know what's going on. And then maybe later on, we'll be able to figure out how the baseball is being used or if it had changed considerably. Uh, I think it's interesting because a lot of people want to point to the lack of home runs or maybe the home run rate is down in the playoffs. And my argument to that is, these guys are better. They're facing better pitching. You're going to face number ones and number twos. You're not facing number fives or, or you know, uh, spot starters or bridge guys. You're facing your number one, number two in your rotation. You're facing ultra nasty guys coming out of the bullpen. <clears throat> Excuse me. So you're facing the best of the best. That's going to adjust the home run rate because guys are having a tougher time. Remind <clears throat> me to cut that out. Um, because guys are facing a little bit better pitching, so it's going to be tougher to square it up. Uh, pitchers are amped up. They're a little more adrenaline, so they're throwing the pitches harder. So there's a lot of things going into that. But I also think it's uh, pretty interesting. I saw you know something with the Pitching Ninja online where I've talked about it throughout the course of the season. When I faced guys who would throw baseballs out of the, out of the uh, at-bat if they got a baseball from the umpire, it was because they didn't like the feel of the seams. And more often than not, the next pitch would be a slider or an off-speed pitch. And the Pitching Ninja puts something out there that says that they're trying to get raised seams because there's less drag on the ball, which means it won't travel farther in the air. And I get that, but if I'm throwing a fastball, wouldn't I want smaller seams so it travels quicker? You know, if the guy squares it up, great, he has to get the bat to it, but I'm not going to, I don't understand how I would want to take drag off the flight because I actually throw the ball through the air, which creates drag. So it kind of threw me off in that sense. I always figured that guys wanted higher seams to create spin to get sharper break on their curveball and slider. But uh, to, the, to the question of, are they using a different ball? Maybe. I don't know. We won't know until the end of the playoffs. But the home run rates are down for me personally because the pitching is better. Absolutely. I mean, we've covered that on the podcast already in terms of, you know, the lineups and then who you're facing. And I, I even said I think we wanted the Rays to uh... – to or we wanted the Astros to play the Rays from an Astros fan perspective because um, because it would be much more of a pitching kind of l- low scoring deal and we thought that the Astros could win that but obviously better pitching reduces the amount of home runs and base runners and makes you know kind of every inning each inning I should say uh, a little more pressure packed or high leverage but obviously with the Astros staff that's something that they're they're okay with and and to the ultimate point about the changing of the baseball I kind of think. This year, we keep using the word ambush here, but it kind of snuck up on everybody that uh, Major League Baseball uh, had purchased Rawlings and that the baseballs were changed significantly. I don't think anybody knew that or knew that it was going to be such a big factor till it was already too late. So now this offseason, I think maybe it's our job as well to kind of bring that up and maybe that's something we'll discuss with the players because obviously as a hitter, you like it. And I think your your first point was awesome about the seams because you do want carry on that four seam fastball. So 
you know, if you're throwing 94, 95 miles an hour and you want carry, then maybe you want the seams a little bit um, reduced. But I think I, I think my preference would be have the higher seam. So, I mean, less drag, that's fine with me, or more drag, I should say, so the ball doesn't leave the ballpark at a, at a high clip. <laughs> yeah, and the other big key is to, I mean, no matter what the baseball is doing, you got to make sure you make a great pitch. And I think that's what guys are doing in the postseason. It's high leverage situations. The hitter is stressed out. Uh, the pitchers are stressed out, but they're doing a very good job of executing pitches here in the playoffs. And I think that's going to nail that one down for the mailbag. I think we only had a couple that we were going to get to, and we appreciate everybody getting to bleacherblums.com and getting in that mailbag and letting us know how you're doing. And we're going to move on. So let's not forget Houstonians that uh, the official t-shirt producer for the Bleacher Blums podcast, which you can actually get on the Bleacher Blums website, is crushcitytees.com. It's the place to go for custom H-Town baseball t-shirts. Direct a garment machine. They can make your idea a reality with no minimums, no setup fees, and of course, unlimited colors. They provide embroidery, screen printing, designed and printed right here in H-Town, Houston. CrushCityTees.com. Uh, check out CrushCityTees.com and check out the BleacherBlums.com website so that you can get your T-shirts for the uh, American League Championship Series. So that's CrushCityTees.com. Blummer, what do we got? Well, after that read, it's really interesting. I forgot to tell you this before in our pre-production meeting before the podcast started, but uh, we're actually tr- the pre-pre-production. <laughs> yep. We are actually working on a t-shirt uh, that's going to involve, so every time Garrett Cole pitches and he throws 100 miles an hour, I have a tendency to, to talk over Todd Callis and say, hundo. So I think we're, we're trying uh-huh. to develop a t-shirt that will get that hundo hashtag out there and commemorate Garrett Cole winning game five, because that's where we're headed right now is right into the Astros news. And the big news, game five is over, and it was the Garrett Cole machine going out there and striking out another 10 batters. This is a playoff team in the Tampa Bay Rays. Yes, they have a tendency to swing and miss, but at the same time, Garrett Cole pitched in two games, only two games, struck out 25 Tampa Bay Rays. The dude is an absolute beast. We had all the anticipation going into game five, and I think that knowing Garrett Cole was going in game five kind of predicated that uh, Justin Verlander would be given the opportunity in game four. Didn't work out, but what a safety blanket to have a guy like Garrett Cole go out there and absolutely shove for eight innings. He's efficient. He's great inside the zone. And this is a guy with, you know, with the Pittsburgh Pirates was a very good pitcher. He came over the Astros, became a better pitcher. His postseason prowess, maybe not where he wanted to be, limited action, some clinch games, didn't go as well as he had hoped. This was a huge game coming into Game 5 for Garrett Cole in the sense that he had a real chance not only to extend his winning streak that he has at 22-23 games now, but it was also an opportunity to, I don't know if, it, if cement is the right word or if it's a chance to really establish the legendary status of Garrett Cole in the Astros uniform. Do you think he did that last night? I thought it was impressive how he performed under the pressure and the spotlight when the Astros needed him the most after having an incredible regular season. Did he live up to the hype and how do you think he performed? Well, I I'd be crazy to say that he didn't do <laughs> that he didn't do uh, a great job. I I'll say a couple of things. One is he made himself a ton of money in free agency. 
certainly since he's come from Pittsburgh over to Houston, <laughs> he's, um, I don't know if it's hanging out with JV or however it works, but he's certainly become a better, um, more efficient, as you already pointed out, power pitcher. And I think, you know, I'm not usually the stats guy on this podcast, on this podcast or any podcast for that, but he has gone 24 starts without, um, with, uh, I'm sorry, 24 starts in a row without having a loss in the game that he started. So he hasn't gotten 24 wins. I'm just trying to clarify that, but 24 games in a row that he started, the Astros have, um, not lost. So he has 24 winning decisions or the team has 24 winning decisions. Is that right? Is that the way to say it? No. Yeah. He, he's gone. Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. I think yeah. a lot of, we understand. They haven't lost in his last 24 yeah. starts. I think that's what it is. So, so 24 starts. And then the other statistic that was incredible is that he's obviously struck out 10 or more guys, I think in 15 starts in a row, which is, I mean, that's just absurd in big league hitting. I mean, in this big league world. So I think the only, I mean, this is just, you know, let's nitpick, right? Cause you're asking me the only thing is that this is the ALDS against the Rays. If this was the championship series to get him into the world series, or if this was a world series deciding game, he, you know, he's, he would cement himself in the, as the, one of the all time greats. And I think, that's what sets him apart. I, I guess, you know, we all know I'm a Giants fan, but Madison Bumgarner did that a couple of years ago in 2014 with the Giants. And that really, I mean, Madison Bumgarner may have put himself in the Hall of Fame with just that postseason. But in general, people will always remember that postseason and go, oh, yeah, that was that was Mad Bum's year. I think obviously this this postseason has just kind of started. And Garrett Cole obviously is on the right track here. If he can get a couple more wins in the uh in the championship series and of course in the world series i, I mean the sky's the limit for how we talk about him and how we think about him in the future great call on the bum corner bum garner call because we all knew that madison was very good and then all of a sudden he went through that 2014 season and basically carried them as far as pitching is concerned getting deep into that season but they leaned on him and they they did a good job in doing so garrett cole stepped up to the challenge did a great job and I, I like your point. If you are going to nitpick, everybody's going to go, well, he did it against the Tampa Bay Rays. They're not a team that slugs, you know. But they had a very good series against Astros pitching. But I can't imagine how hard would it be to get through a Granky Verlander Cole situation where the Astros only needed one win. If you're throwing those three starters out there, imagine that mountain for the Tampa Bay Rays to climb. So it's really a credit to them to even get to the point where they had to face Garrett Cole, but there's no way they, you know, going through those three guys and then facing Garrett Cole last, that was a monumental feat. I, I totally agree. And, and we talk about momentum quite often, but if you want uh, anybody to kill your momentum, put Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole on the mound and, and they can do that. I, I guess we, I know we're going to jump ahead to a couple other topics, but we did talk pretty extensively about Justin Verlander coming back on short rest. And I think we'd be remiss not to kind of, at least touch on what you thought you were you were um, watching the game a little more intently than I was. I didn't get to see a whole lot of that game out here. It was early on the uh, West Coast when that game kicked off. But uh, all the things that we credited him for and saying, you know, it's fine on short rest and you want your best guy out there and he's going to take the bull by the horns and give him everything, which I'm sure he did. But what do you think were the shortcomings there? I mean, I, I didn't, like I said, get to see it, but I still like the way it maps out because you got to face Verlander and Cole. And yeah. as you said, from a, from a mental standpoint on the Rays, you know, regardless of what they think they have to beat both those guys, you know, consecutively. And that, that's a, that's a tall order. 
It is, and just going back to the Justin Verlander performance and talking to some of the people around the game, and the way I was watching the game, I, I look at velocity, and then I look at break on their pitches, and I try and find if they're creating the velocity, which Justin Verlander was, and then you look at the location of the fastball, and he had a little bit tougher time getting to the glove side, and I'm sure uh, Tuttle can talk to this a little bit, is if a pitcher is having a tough time getting to that glove side, which is across their body, might might give you an idea there's a little bit of fatigue there and the adrenaline the moment is going to mask that a little bit so maybe he did feel good but was unable to really complete some of the pitches and to that point it was the off speed that really stuck out to me there were some good pitches but in order to have very good breaking balls I believe that you have to even finish the pitch even harder or throw that pitch even harder to finish and create the spin to get the break you want to be able to locate where you want and if he's not, and if you're a right-handed pitcher and you're unable to get to the glove side, that means you're not creating the snap or the break. So that means that the pitch is being left up out of the plate. And that's where we saw the Tampa Bay Rays take advantage of it. But at the same time, nitpicking a little bit, he did make some mistakes, but it was a grind through that, those at-bats for the Rays. But he did make mistakes on the, on the, on the uh, sliders and curveballs that led to some home runs. And that's where maybe a little bit of the fatigue was uh, masked by the adrenaline in the situation. No, you nailed it. I mean, I we kind of always joke like, well, let's go to Tuttle for the pitching and let's go to Blummer for the hitting. But honestly, when you're around baseball, um, as long as we've been and you watch games and you know, I mean, you, you nailed it. So the glove side, uh, your glove side uh, fastball is always a great indicator. Like, are you getting that ball down and away from your right-handed hitter or down and into a lefty? Are you finishing that pitch? And then, you, you know, you like I said, you already said it, but and then that breaking ball, that just means if you're not finishing that pitch, then obviously the breaking ball is going to be a little bit flatter and that it's going to spin a little less uh, sharply. And, you know, we talk now all the time about these advanced analytics, but the spin rate and all that stuff, you really, I mean, quite often I remember losing my fastball in a game. And of course, what does the catcher do? Even if it's 2-0, he calls a slider or a breaking ball so that you can get that finish or that feel. And if you can snap that pitch out and get it to the lower, you know, kind of the lower quadrant away from a righty for me, um, you know, knee high outside to a righty, then, then he might call another fastball and boom, you finish your fastball. You're like, yeah, because it takes a little extra and a little extra, um, you know, just a little extra reach and a little extra finish and a little extra feel on that pitch to get it out there. And, and as you mentioned, you know, on, on two days rest, three days rest, uh, which is a couple days shorter. Uh, along with adrenaline, which is something you're always fighting in a crucial game, then you know, then we can all we can all just tip our cap and say, look, the Rays were ready, and uh, maybe he came back too quickly. But as I said, to face those two or three guys, um, you know, and to beat them all in a row is a great uh, a great kind of uh, uh, credit to the Astros and what they put together in this fantastic 107 win team. The other thing I wanted to say about pitching was. Uh, with uh, Joe Kelly, and we're going to get to that series after, but with Kelly, um, I was watching the broadcast after, and they were just saying, so he obviously had a, a, a perfect ninth. He looked awesome, but one of the easiest pitches to throw is that kind of that up pitch, you know, where the catcher kind of gives you, it's 0-2 or 1-2, like, hey, I just want that chest-high fastball or that chin-high fastball right here. I want to change his eye level, and the catcher kind of stands up in his crouch, and Joe Kelly threw in at the shoelaces after that, and the point was, I mean, you, that's the easy one. That's an easy one to kind of let go. Just, oh, I don't have to finish it. I don't have to do anything. Let's just buzz his tower or let's get the ball up to change his eye level. And Joe Kelly couldn't do it in that inning. 
And right away, that was a huge indicator like, oh, you know, if he can't do that, this, you know, he, he might be struggling with his location. So like I said, we can touch on that later, but you got me fired up about talking about pitching <laughs> mechanics. So here I go. No, and to, you know, not that you need validation, but I've actually had the conversation with A.J. Hinch, the manager of the Astros, who's an ex-catcher, talking about if he has a guy who's having a tough time really getting to that glove side, he'll he'll put down the sign for the slider or the curveball because, it, like Tuttle is saying, it forces him to extend, get out there, and finish, and then all of a sudden come back with the fastball, and then you see, start to see the length on the delivery and getting to that outside corner. So Garrett Cole – has turned himself into Garrett effing Cole after last night's game. So that was a lot of fun to talk about. I uh, got a lot of love on the Twitter machine for that one when I tweeted that out. But in order to win ball games, you've got to score more runs than the other team. And the Astros finally did that after the two-game slump in St. Petersburg playing against the Tampa Bay Rays. So they got to Glassnow early. And this is something that has really made the rounds, especially here, you know, uh, what are we, Friday morning quarterbacks, Friday morning analysts that we are, and hearing some of the stories that they're talking about. And Tyler Glass now had the stuff 98 to 100 miles an hour from what I was seeing out on the radar gun at Minute Maid Park. And I saw some good break, but there was a particular, and I wanted George Springer, Michael Brantley, and these guys to come out a little bit. So Mike, uh, George Springer gets the base hit. And then Michael Brantley came up and he proceeded to take a breaking ball just below the zone. And I kind of cocked my head to the side and I went, huh, that was a little bit interesting to me because he took that pitch extremely well down out of the zone. And then all of a sudden I was like, they might be onto something. And sure enough, it was a pitch or two later where Michael Brantley got on the fastball inside out at it and shot it back up the middle the other way. And I went, oh boy, these guys know exactly what's coming. And who comes up next? Jose Altuve takes 98 around his eyeballs, goes the other way. And then immediately Alex Bregman, first pitch of the at-bat, just stands up in auto-take, gets in the auto-take mode and takes a breaking ball that bounces. Next pitch is at 99, 98, and he fouls it straight back. And I was like, oh boy, these guys are all over it and proceeded to score four runs in that first inning. So they were all over Tyler Glass now. And the tipping is such a huge part of the game that it's not cheating. It's a, it's, when you say tipping, it means you're, it's like playing poker. If you're playing across from a guy and a guy has a tell, maybe his left eye twitches when he has pocket aces, and then all of a sudden you know what he's going to play. Or if you you know when the guy is bluffing, he has a certain twitch with his his left ear. Who knows what it could be, but he has a tell. He's telling you his hand. And that's basically what Tyler Glass now did last night is he told the Astros what he had in his hand. And I believe the hands were a little bit higher on the fastball, a little bit lower on the breaking ball. And when you're a hitter and you're keying in on a guy's delivery, you have a tendency to be able to pick up on the most minute little movements or positioning of the hands to be able to set you off. And the second, it's funny, is when you see it and recognize it, it sets off an alarm in your head and you're going, oh, this might be the fastball. And then he throws the fastball. And then all of a sudden you get this big grin on your face and you try and contain your excitement. And he does something a little bit different. You go, oh, that's going to be a slider. And it's a slider. Oh, boy. Number one, you can't wait to get a hit. Number two, you can't wait to go back in the dugout and tell your boys, I got him, I got him. And that's what we saw with the Astros last night. And it was a lot of fun to watch. It's a game of adjustments. You've got to be able to pick these guys apart, especially when they're throwing 100 miles an hour with turbo breaking balls. But uh, Tuttle, do you have any experience with tipping? And I've got an idea on why guys tip, even at the big league level. And I'll get to that when Tuttle's done. 
Yes, I have experience. I, I was just reading the article on Glass now. It's funny because they asked Bregman if he was tipping pitches. And of course, no way. He wasn't tipping pitches there. We got other things to worry about. So um, you're not letting that cat out of the bag. <laughs> we got him. We're going to keep it there until uh, till he figures it out. And I think the funniest part about the whole thing was Glass now figured it out when he got 9 million texts back on his phone. Hey, you were tipping your pitches. So all his minor league buddies and all his big league buddies were like, dude, We've seen you pitch forever, and you look different. Uh, playing in the Arizona Fall League in 1995, and it was weird because the guy that was tipping pitches was a former teammate of mine with the Reds, and we I had got traded to the Tigers and then sent to the Fall League. So we were in the Fall League essentially playing against guys that were, you know, double-A teammates of mine. And we had, um, I think he got some big league time. Gosh, I can't remember his name. Anyway, we'll come up with that some other time. It's not even that important, but he was a lefty uh a lefty that could throw about 94, 95. And back then that was superior and he had a good hammer. So left-handed pitcher and he was a two pitch guy and he basically threw, you know, 93, 94, 95 with a good hammer, but he just held his hands. He always pitched out of the stretch and he would just hold his hands differently. So if he was throwing a fastball, he'd be about chest high. And if he was throwing a curveball, he'd be towards his belly button. And it's like, I mean, welcome to the, it's one thing if you're a starter and you're tipping a little bit and you have a cutter and a slider and a changeup and a fastball, but a two pitch pitcher holding his hands at a different height for each pitch. I mean, you got no shot. You have no shot against big league hitters. And you're, I mean, so I, it sounds like, I, I don't know if Glasno, obviously he has got great stuff and he's going to be in the big leagues for a long time. He's more than a two pitch pitcher, but it sounds like you said in a crucial situation, where he's amped up. We talked about JV controlling his adrenaline and doing, you know, it, it's, it, it was a big moment to, uh, to give those guys uh, some insight into what was coming. And I think that is exactly why he was tipping because, you know, I talk to my daughters all the time when they're playing volleyball and I say, Hey, you know, when you go practice, practice like you're playing in a game, because when it does kind of get to that, that crunch time, that high leverage situation, you're going to, and you get in, I don't want to call it a panic mode because, but some, sometimes we do panic, but when you get in that panic mode, high leverage type situation, there's, there's a tendency to revert back to comfort or you know, a lack of fundamentals. And I think that's where pitchers get sometimes in high leverage situations is that they lose focus on what they're doing. And for glass now, I'm sure he's been told he's tipped in the past, but most pitchers do until they get to the, minor leagues and the big leagues where you start to be able to try and mask all of that and hide the pitches, but you get into a high stress situation and guess what? He just put down the fastball. All I'm worried about is my delivery and making sure I get extended and locating this pitch. Guess what I forget about how I hold my hands. So all of a sudden you get back on there and you're just holding it a little bit higher on the fastball, lower on the curveball, and, and teams pick up on that. So I, I truly believe that it is a, a leverage crunch time clutch type situation where instead of focusing on the entire aspect of the delivery, you get kind of hung up on one thing and you forget about those other two and you get back in comfort zone. And that's where his comfort zone is trying to get a grip on that baseball. That's a great point. I didn't mean to steal your thunder because I didn't know that that was what you were going to say, but I, I really honest, honestly believe that we've talked about sport because we golf on occasion. I don't think we've golfed in three years, but when we used to golf on occasion, like how uncomfortable I am hitting like a five foot putt. But if I spent three hours or four hours a day hitting five foot putts, guess what? I wouldn't be nervous over the five foot putt. I might have a little extra adrenaline if you put some money on it, or I might have a little more anxiety. But to your point, I think I say that to my daughter all the time as well. You know, you really want 
uh, and you knew this from a pitching mechanics or a hitting mechanics standpoint, the reason we throw bullpens all the time, the reason you take batting practice all the time is to get that comfort and to get that consistency with your mechanics. Like, oh, this feels really good. I like it when my hands are here and I'm gaining that consistency and that comfort. And the more you do that, obviously, uh, the easier the things become. It becomes easier to repeat that swing or repeat that pitch. And I think to your point, he's probably made some adjustments either recently or it's not something that he's been able to ingrain quite yet. And to be honest with you, he's a young pitcher <laughs> in a high, high, uh, high leverage, very uh, kind of uh, adrenaline-filled moment. And like you said, maybe maybe he went back to you know pitching when he was 12 years old at that point. I mean, you know, how old is Glass? I think he's like 23. I mean, yeah, 23, 24, maybe. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's a baby. So I, I think all of those factors can probably um, from you know could probably be attributed to some of the kind of some of the the hits that we saw and maybe some of the uh, some of the swings that the Astros took. Yeah, and luckily they did take those swings and take advantage of Glass now tipping those pitches because they ended up scoring six to one and winning the ball game. They are going on to the American League Championship Series against the New York Yankees, which will be played in Minute Maid Park Saturday and Sunday, both times in Game One and Game Two will be seven oh eight Central Time. So make sure you're tuning into that. But a lot of Astro fans already know that and will be there or be watching. Uh, but we, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the Dodgers-Nationals Game 5. Uh, it was interesting to me that they did go to Game 5. That was another matchup of a very good team in the Dodgers against a very good pitching staff in the Washington Nationals, who I think kind of struck some fear in some people, understanding how uh, Davey Martinez is going to uh, use that uh, their bullpen, moving Corbin, Scherzer, and the likes of these guys, Strasburg out of the bullpen and trying to cover up and put some Band-Aids on what is a bad bullpen for the Nationals, but their starting rotation is great with Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin going in that mix. But uh, it was all on Dave Roberts, a good friend of both of ours. So this might be a little bit of a tough segment for both Tuttle and I having experience with Dave Roberts, who is a, a phenomenal human being. He has been a great manager, but he was in a tough situation in Game 5. But so was Clayton Kershaw. He brought in Clayton Kershaw to finish off an inning with two runners on, and he did. I'm not sure Kershaw should have gone out there again. And there's two prongs on this. There's the Roberts angle and the Kershaw angle, obviously. But I think understanding Kershaw getting through that inning, I think with three pitches to get out of it, Dave Roberts looked forward and said, Rondon and Soto. If I can get Clayton Kershaw through Juan Soto, we've done our job and I can use the bullpen the way I want. But I would have loved to have seen, considering the postseason issues Kershaw has had, I would have personally would not have been upset with Kershaw, that being the end of his outing. They had a young man out there, left-hander Kolarik, who's a kind of a funky delivery. But I think in a game five situation, I would have taken Kershaw out, slapped him on the back, let him tip his cap to the crowd or whatever he wanted to do and have the highlight of getting them out of that situation, keeping the game at three to one. And then I would have gone hitter by hitter, pitcher by pitcher. Um, I would have brought in Maeda to face Rendon. I would have brought in Kolarik to face the left-hander. And then who cares after that? I would Maybe I bring in Joe Kelly to face the right-handed hitter after uh, Juan Soto. But it didn't work out that way. Leaves Kershaw in, gives up back-to-back -back home runs. The game's tied. 
And obviously it ended the way it did with Joe Kelly giving up the grand slam. But in that situation, I want to get Tuttle's thoughts on some of the moves, what he would have done differently, if anything, or how he felt about the situation uh, as far as Dave Roberts is concerned. And then I'll back that up when you're done and uh, talking about Kershaw. So what do you got on the managerial decisions now that in hindsight, where we're all much smarter? Of course we are. Um, you know, it's a results-oriented business, and I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, Dave is a man of man of the people. Dave Roberts is just one of the best teammates I ever had and such a nice guy. But I think I, I would hope that, you know, being friends with you and Dave, if I were in his shoes, that you guys, you know, maybe six months from now would say, dude, what happened to the regular guy you are? Like, you know, it's just, it's hard in these situations. And I think this almost goes back to what we said about our habits, the habits that we create and the habits that we work on. And what we what we do um, kind of makes who we are in those crucial situations. And I feel like he kind of uh, strayed from that, as as obviously do many fans. And if it worked out, it worked out. My thoughts, you're asking about the managerial thought. From a manager's perspective, I'm looking at, um, I heard some people talk about strategy. Don't announce your strategy before. Um, you know, Cole's our starter. He's going to go as long as he can. There you go. Walker Bueller's our starter. He's going to go 10 innings tonight if he can. He's throwing 98, 99. They don't hit him very well. Well, you know, that didn't work out, but they know Kershaw's coming in. I, I, I think I completely agree with you as a manager, even like, look, lefty on lefty. This guy's one of the best pitchers of our generation. I saw last night, uh, Scott Van Pelt put, you know, 695 winning percentage, three Cy Young awards. His stuff isn't what it used to be, just like I've already commented about Kenley Jansen's stuff not being what it is. But bring him in like he did, lefty versus lefty, three-pitch strikeout, boom, he's done. Now, the other thing, like you said, we can we can look at the statistics and say, all right, if I can get him through Soto, if I can get him through Soto, I would agree with that thinking from a manager's perspective if he was a reliever. If I use Kershaw as a reliever all the time, then I would do it. When you bring him in, from out of the bullpen as your regular starter and the adrenaline's flowing and he punches that guy out in three pitches, you need to get six outs with a whole bullpen that got you 106 wins throughout the year. It's 106 wins and you don't want to reinvent the wheel. And so, like I said, in hindsight, this all sounds like, oh, well, we're going to pick on him. But these guys got you 106 wins. You only have six outs left. And Kershaw's not the kind of guy that has come in out of the bullpen on a regular basis. And you already got that. And you got the bump. I was watching that game. The seventh inning crowd after Kershaw punched that out on three pitches was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. It was electric. I mean, I could have gone out there and tried to throw strikes in that scenario because you felt like you were walking on air. I mean, I could feel it through the TV and I just think you want to hand that hand the ball to your bullpen to get six outs that they've gotten all year long. And if they can't get it, then, you know, then you got, you got, you will, you will not get criticized. Yeah, that is great. That, that, those are all great points. And the enthusiasm is there. The passion is there. And I love that you broke it down to out by out because that's ultimately what you're going to. This is win and go home. It's no time to play favorites. It's no time to play guts. It's trying to play the, play the matchups, play the numbers. And to the point where I sent uh, Tuttle a, a direct message on Twitter because somebody sent out a tweet where it said Dave Roberts played a little more of his gut, a little more of his feel. And then there was a, a tweet juxtaposed to that from Kevin Cash that said statistics have no emotion. And that's where, you know, we've drafted our fantasy football team on no emotion, not guys that we like, guys that we think they'll perform. And sometimes it's tough in a, in a passionate 
high leverage situation to not go with your guy. But I'm with you in the sense that having Kershaw come off the mound in that moment could have been the pinnacle for him, could have been that walk-off moment that he needed because he came out, gave up the two home runs. It is now a tie ball game. And now what are we left with? We're left with the image of Clayton Kershaw with his hands covering his head. He's holding his head in his hands. He's looking down. Everybody's captioning this, captioning that, making a meme out of it. And it's a real shame because you're right. The numbers that you threw up with the Cy Youngs and the 695 winning percentage, regular season, Clayton Kershaw will be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He is arguably, in a legendary organization, the best pitcher in the Dodgers organization ever with what he's been able to do in that uniform. Yet, I think we're going to, much like Madison Bumgarner, we're going to remember what he did in the postseason during crunch time. We're going to remember what Clayton Kershaw did in the postseason because every argument's going to be, yeah, but the postseason for Clayton Kershaw. Do you feel that way? And is it fair? You know, I don't know. I think if I were Doc, though, that would hurt the most. That's the part that would hurt the most is that I had the opportunity to let Kershaw kind of walk on it, walk on air and walk out of there and get the momentum because if they win that game, now they're into the, you know, the championship series, which is where they plan to be all along. And now you've got a lot of confidence in Kershaw. He's got confidence in himself. And we continue to talk about how uh, inherently important that is in, in high level athletics and high level professional uh, activity, regardless of what you do. And I just think, yeah, I mean, I think he had that opportunity and I think that that's going to be the thing that eats at Dave the most. And then from Clayton's perspective, I, I just think, you know, I mean, it is what it is. They asked him to go back out there. I would take responsibility as I'm sure Clayton did. He answered all the questions. I mean, you know, I got to make better pitches. I know these guys are good hitters. I got to make better pitches, but uh, I just, we, we keep going back to this regardless of whether it be fantasy football or even the way I played, although I you know didn't get to the, the pinnacle, is you just have to dance with who brung you. And it just doesn't make sense that these guys, Joe Madden did it a couple of years ago and he got lucky in my opinion. He just, you know, you don't want to reinvent the wheel when it comes down. Now, does Kalerik have playoff experience? No, but Soto had punched out two or three times against him. And he's a Javier Lopez comp, right? Like Javier Lopez made his money in the mm-hmm. in the playoffs, just getting one or two outs. Just take those seven guys to get those outs. And if and as you said, if you juxtapose it with the Rays or even the Nationals, the manager just kept going out there. I mean, Davy Davy Martinez put his closer in Hudson for the ninth inning and got a scoreless ninth. Joe Kelly got you a scoreless ninth. I mean, these guys. So even after even after. Kershaw gave it up. Now it's still 3-3. You got a scoreless ninth out of Joe Kelly. If he gets in trouble, take him out. Like I just, you know, you, he just kind of left left those guys in the game so long that it just uh it just turned into trouble. It's actually a great point because let, let's say that he does put Clayton Kershaw out there and his intent is to get through Juan Soto, but he gives up the home run to Anthony Rendon. There how how come there was nobody backing him up? There were there there were two bullpen rubbers out there and why weren't there two guys pitching in that situation? Why didn't you have Kalerik even to back up Kershaw? You didn't have to just ride the one horse through the whole thing. So I think that's a great point that you brought up that we haven't talked about yet is why weren't there anybody, why wasn't there anybody getting loose behind him to protect him in that situation? Right. And you don't want to follow the crowd at playoff time, right? <laughs> follow the crowd to chow time. You don't want to follow the crowd at play uh, at playoff time, but I, I, every single game you watch when it's the fifth inning or beyond, it's like double barrel the whole time in the, every bullpen. Cause you just know, you don't know yeah, when it's, it's going to, you don't know when it's going to fall apart. And every one of these games, each and every one of these games is so important. 
And I think that's that's your point. So great. Let's not second guess the fact that he sent him out there again. Gave up a home run to Rendon. Boom. Cleric's in the game now to face Soto. It's 3-2. It's closer than I wanted it. But yeah, he just kind of seemed to go, all right, I made up my mind and this is what I'm going to do. And, uh, and you know, it just it just made for, it's going to make for a tough offseason. Like I said, I, I read an article this morning. I don't know if I talked to you about this that says, I actually thought Dave would not be coming back as the Dodgers manager, but apparently it looks like that um, through sources, he's going to be coming back. And that intimates to me that he was following some sort of chart or diagram that the analytics department put. Otherwise, I mean, if if he went against what they said, they would fire him instantly. If he if he followed along and he has some leeway in there, then that's still a fireable offense. But if he basically had a card that said, all right, this is what you have to do. I, I mean, I, I find that hard to believe any of those scenarios, but obviously the uh, the GM and, and the powers that be feel like he was following the, the formula that they've laid out and they're going to give him another opportunity at it. So, or the guys love him so much. <laughs> yeah. Which, which is definitely possible with Dave. Cause he's got one of those uh, personalities where I feel like he is a player's managers players manager a little bit, but it brings up the next point for me is in this series and Tuttle talking about, uh, you know, writing the writing the, with the guys that uh, brought you there and going back maybe several podcasts, maybe when the Dodgers were around that clinch time is Kenley Jansen. You had mentioned how that might be the Achilles heel of the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. And guess what? In that series against the Washington Nationals, Dave Roberts only went to Kenley Jansen twice. And the second time he went to him was after the grand slam was given up. So he kind of came in in mop-up time. Is there is there a way to salvage that relationship? And will Kenley Jansen be that closer next year? I don't know. I mean, he'll probably drive a nice car because he's making a bunch of money. But I, I, maybe the maybe the Dodgers uh, front office was listening to our podcast because, I, I mean, I'm out here. Yeah, he'd never yeah, know. you never know. I was out here on the West Coast. Uh, I am out here on the West Coast. And most of the year I got to, you know, it was my job after podcast number 20 to kind of keep you up to date about the Dodgers uh, Dodgers exploits. And, um, you know, Kershaw, we've kind of beaten to death, but he had a fantastic year as a starter. Kenley Jansen just kept going downhill and downhill. And, and I think maybe what I just touched on, which is the analytics department, Maybe they just sent down a memo from the analytics department saying, look, you can't use Kenley Jansen in too high of a leverage situation and and we'll have to deal with the consequences later because, you know, I know Scherzer's been in the bullpen and obviously uh, Hudson and Strasburg was in the bullpen. You know, Hudson's your closer. But we saw Osuna pitch the eighth inning to get out of a, a jam and then uh, they brought in Will Harris to kind of close out a game. None of the players in that locker room, I would assume, I mean, I guess Osuna wants to close out games care as long as they win and i think ultimately most of these teams especially the four that are left have guys that can come in i mean and and close out the game and obviously the dodgers didn't feel kenley jansen could do that and uh we'll we'll have to see what the future holds i guess if dave's still around um it'll be interesting to see how that relationship uh if it continues or not Yep, high-quality stuff on the baseball side talking about the american league championship series the national league championship series coming up uh, I don't know. Do you have any predictions in either one there, Tuttle? Um, let's see. Well, the, uh, I mean, obviously, I, I believe the two best teams are on the American League side. So that's that series should be everything that we want. But if good pitching beats good hitting, 
then we should see uh, we should see Astros come mm-hmm. out on top. I, I would say the Astros in six games. A lot of people like to say seven. It really depends on how the Yankees pitching steps up. They're obviously missing a couple key guys. Um, and then, you know, does anybody ever bet against the Cardinals in any sort of playoff scenario? I mean, <laughs> I, I'm not even a Cardinals fan, and they just seem to scrap and get after it. I remember when Freeze hit that um, that ball way back. And, mm-hmm. I mean, they just yeah. – they just don't give up. So I, I, I find it hard pressed to give, to bet against the Cardinals, but I do like the nationals pitching. So I'm just going to have to, I'm just going to have to watch that one from afar. Cause the, the, the nationals impressed me quite a bit beating the Dodgers. What about you? What say you Blummer? Well, you obviously I'm going to pick the Houston Astros and I'm in, I'm in Tuttle's corner what? as far as the <laughs> shocker. You're, yeah. you're so, you're so, you're so biased. Come on. Spoiler for those listening. Spoiler alert. Blum is going to pick the Houston Astros. And I agree with you in the sense that it's going to be six games just because, uh, you know, the fourth starter for the Astros is still a question mark for me. Who are they going to throw out there in that situation? Because uh, that game four is going to be in in uh, New York where the Astros have a bit of an issue. I think it's going to be interesting this, this go around because you, you have the potential to have the rotation set up. Granky, Verlander, Cole. And Cole, again, would be that number three starter for the first game in New York. And I think that really improves the chances of the Houston Astros going out there. It'll be interesting to see who who he matches up with because the rotation is a little bit weak for me with the New York Yankees, but the back end of their bullpen is just devastating at times. Um, I'm saying six games also. I think they're going to lose a couple in uh, New York, but with Garrett Cole winning the first one out there, they'll have an opportunity to close it out on their home turf where they play extremely well. Uh, it should be a lot of fun in that series. The NLCS is kind of interesting to me because I, I thought it was going to be Dodgers-Braves going down the stretch. I love the young talent of the Braves, but they got beat out again by a team that Tuttle talked about where they just know how to win. They don't have outstanding phenoms, but they go out there and figure out how to pitch, how to get outs, and how to score runs. And that 10-run inning in the first inning against uh, the Braves had to be highly encouraging for them. And then their manager just F-bombing the entire league going into the cha- into the championship sh- series hopefully gives the Nationals some uh, fight, and I think it's going to be the Nationals. I think it's going to be the weirdest matchup in the postseason between the Astros and the Nationals who are going to make their first World Series appearance. And uh, who would that leave on the outside? There, there's only If the Nationals make it to the World Series, I'd have to look it up. I can't remember, but there's only going to be one team that has not made it to the World Series, and it's messing me up right now that I can't think about it as I'm staring at Tuttle in my FaceTime. Dang it. I don't know either. I'll have to look sorry. it up. Seattle yeah, Mailbagger, if you know who it is. Yep, that's it. That's oh. my boy. Ding, ding, ding. Chicken dinner. Picked you up without the internet even. What the? Man, the human Google machine, David Tuttle. <laughs> so, yeah, it's the Seattle Mariners. Uh, you know, if the uh, Nationals are able to get in there, who used to be the Expos. So, cleaning up shop on the baseball is always fun. We've done a very good job at it. And I tell you what, we've got sponsors on this podcast, but man, this is one of my favorites. I know it just it, it, it invigorates everybody who listens to the podcast. And support for Bleacher Blums, of course, comes from Manscaped, who is the number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. you got to give these guys and gals a lot of credit for them investing so much time and energy to make that undercarriage that much better. They do a great job with their Lawnmower 2.0. That is a proprietary skin safe technology. So the trimmer won't snick or snag. 
those undercarriage pieces because we don't want that. And I myself, not only am I an endorser, I am a user. I keep things nice and tight down below and everybody appreciates it. And when I say everybody, I mean my wife, Corey, who is absolutely stoked to be in this read right now. So if you go to manscaped.com, enter the code BLUMS, B-L-U-M-S, you will get 20% off and get free shipping. So make sure you get some tools for the job. Your balls will thank you. Great read. That was the best. <laughs> I knew you would enjoy that. But of course, after that being done, that is the business. And now it's time to get down to the real business. Waddle Tuttle say. This is great. I thought you were going to give me the rest of the podcast off because I pulled Seattle Mariners out of the ether for you, but uh, you earned it. I earned. You I totally earned, earned it. my time off. I do have a couple of things. Um, they're kind of related, and they'll be baseball heavy since that's most of our audience at this point. But uh, one little short thing is it drives me crazy that uh, they continue to use pitch counts in do or die games, like. I think maybe a true fan might, you know, I, I don't know who's sitting at home going, oh my gosh, Walker Bueller's at 87 pitches in the fifth inning. And uh, we're just wondering what the guy's throwing 98 miles an hour. He's given up zero or one run. I mean, Garrett Cole did not care about his pitch count. And honestly, I mean, there is a career thing here and it's free agency and he's coming up. This goes back to what we said about when you want the baseball. If Garrett Cole had 207 pitches last night and he was heading into the ninth inning and it's a three to two game or a four to one game, guess what? Garrett Cole's still on the mound until they get some base runners, until guys are taking good swings against him. So um, I've realized that that's kind of this goes back to our local broadcast, national broadcast thing. I believe that these guys just have, you know, they've got the, the strike zone tracer, they've got the analytics over here, they've got the pitch count that just kind of runs over there. And, I don't know if they're just filling airtime, but nobody and no true baseball fan in a do or die do or die game cares about pitch count. We care about the things that we talked about earlier, which is, you know, is he going to get this guy out? Why aren't they using the bullpen? They won 106 games with the bullpen. Do they want to send him back out to warm up again? Cause he sat there and got cold. Like all of those things are relevant, but for Walker Bueller, Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, um, you know, even Granky, I mean, these guys can throw 120, 130 pitches, and it really has to do with the, this is a results-oriented business now, especially in the playoffs. Let's let's give it a rest on the pitch counts. I mean, come on. You don't care, do you? No. I, oh, heck no. And it's kind of funny that you bring that up because I, I did not know you were going to talk about this beforehand. And I think it's a great point. I love the fact that you're a pitcher and you're throwing the pitch counts out the window, and especially in this time of year because you're trying you're, – you play to win the game, you know? So you go out there and you're going to throw as many pitches as you can. And if he's the best option at a hundred pitches, guess who's going to stay in the game? That guy. It doesn't matter what the pitch count is, but to Tuttle's point, it was kind of funny. I had the chance to talk to AJ Hinch before the game. And I got to do it as a friend because I'm not working these games. So we were talking about it and we were kind of jokingly, you know, I go, I go, man, I go, is Garrett Cole going to throw 150 pitches? And AJ kind of said, if he has to, you know, so you're not really worried about it. But he he did mention, you know, the 120 pitches would be where he kind of 
looked into it a little bit better. But yeah, no, pitch counts, no. We're going out there throwing the kitchen sink at you. Win the game at all cost. Don't risk your future, but but win the game. Right. And, and Garrett Cole would support that. And could you imagine if he got to 110 pitches and, you know, it's four to one and, you know, AJ comes trotting out in the middle of the seventh inning, like, hey, well, I got you at 117 pitches and I don't want you to start the next hitter. <laughs> he might get, you know, it might be a brawl on the mound. And I think we saw that as a Giants fan in 2002 when, uh, when uh, Ortiz, Russ Ortiz was throwing a great game in the seventh inning and they were up. I don't know, five runs, possibly four runs. I, my history mm-hmm. is not is not quite as uh, so sharp. It's a good call. It's a- yeah, and Dusty Baker went out there, and you could just see he's chewing his toothpick, and he's having a great old conversation with with uh, Russ Ortiz out there, like, "Hey, Russ, you gave us everything we had. We're you know a couple outs away from winning this thing, and you know, thanks." And the Angels came back and proceeded to win the World Series. So I think, if nothing else, uh, yeah, the pitch counts don't matter. So. Um, and then that will transition to I want I want this to be a little bit of a salve for Dodger fans. I continue to talk on this podcast about the 106, 107 win teams. I think the Yankees won 105, so you have 105, 106, 107 win teams heading into the playoffs. I think the Devil the Rays. I always want to call them the Devil Rays. I'm so sorry. It's like the San Diego Chargers. I just can't get over it. The Rays won 97 games this year. Is that right? 97 games, and we look at them like yeah. Those are the those are the Rays. Ninety seven, only won ninety seven. <laughs> Nothing in this world is easy, especially winning the World Series, and you can attest to that. If you don't have to overcome some adversity, some injuries, some sort of bumps in the road, I mean, the Dodgers proved it. And and I, Justin Verlander said it tongue in cheek last night in the celebration. Um, and I don't know if he was hinting that they want the division series to be seven games, but um, yeah, JP Morosi asked him kind of like. So what do you think about this? Decide? He's like, I'm sorry. What do you think about the upcoming series against the Yankees? And he said, look, I like our chances in a seven-game series. And in a seven-game series, you cannot hide anybody. That's what JV said. I thought that was really good. You can't hide your weaknesses. Every guy on the 25-man roster is going to play an integral role in us winning uh, or losing. And I thought that's, that's exactly it. And, and, and hopefully folks can you know, translate this into your life, right? You know, you want that job and you're in the job interview and they ask you a tough question and you're sweating it out or, you know, tipping your pitches last night for glass. I mean, you got to work your butt off to get to the pinnacle of anything and to achieve your goals. And I think just, you know, not that the Dodgers can take comfort in this, but that was, you know, that was, that was a bump in the road and it was really difficult for them to overcome it. And maybe in a seven game series, they would have, but the playing field was even. And I just, you know, kind of similar to the Tuttle quote of the day, wanted to throw out a little reminder that nothing comes easy, folks. And, and that can also be for the Astro fans. Like, that was hard. That was a hard five-game series. Now, granted, again, I already pointed out the Rays won 97 games this year, and everybody looked at them like they shouldn't even be in the in the building. And, uh, you know, they were almost a 100-win team. But, uh, but the Astros are now battle-tested and ready to go and not take anybody for granted. And I think, uh, you know, the Dodgers again, they can take comfort in the fact that they played against another team that had lights out pitching and some good camaraderie. And, you know, none of this is a foregone conclusion. So that's just a just a friendly reminder, a PSA, public service announcement, that if you're going to win the World Series, and even for Astros fans, there's going to be some more bumps on the road. I mean, the Yankees are going to have them on the ropes, whether it be in a, in a specific inning or a specific game or actually in the series. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, 
you know, as a as a former World Series champ, right? Nothing nothing comes easy, plumber. No, and if it did come easy, everybody would be doing it, and everybody would be great at it. So you got to work a little bit. Always trying to encourage people that way. I love the fact that Tuttle is going off in this podcast. He is bringing some great stuff, inspirational stuff, uh, great insight, good opinions. And uh, as well as it's been going, we're going to expect more out of David Tuttle right here because we're going to head into one of the more interesting episodes, I think, here of late, which has become Don't Bet On It. Thank you. Don't bet on it. We touched on this. uh, Gosh, we touched on it on Tuesday. When did we record last? This is our second podcast of the week. So we know that uh, Keenan Allen struggled for us. We know that the the Cowboys got abused. So we're all that. But we did pick up a tight end and a flex position. And thankfully, last night, after uh, we had our first fantasy football loss last week, we got Tom Brady and uh, Julian Edelman go off. So I'm feeling good about fantasy football. Uh, to the picks, we 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 uh, covered this as well. I'm at 66% right now, right now, which is a winner. So winner, winner, chicken dinner. I'm gonna go this week. Did I do it last week? Yeah, two college games. No, I did one college game, two pro games. This week I've got two college games, one pro game, and folks. Another public service announcement for you. This, don't bet on it. You do not want to bet on these. These stink. So, um, we're we're betting on the college game tonight, and I got to see what the schedule is. It's uh, Miami minus two is what I got, and they're playing a ranked team. Oh, they're playing Virginia. How about that? They're playing Virginia. Miami mm-hmm. got lost last week to Virginia Tech. They got smoked in a well. It was, they were getting beat by three touchdowns. They got it down to one touchdown. But uh, the the bottom line is Miami's not the team that you want to bet on if you're looking at this from uh, from afar. And we're going to take Miami. Two and three, they're the favorites. Minus two points against a four and one ranked Virginia team. Miami's giving up two points. That line smells to high heaven. So that's why you want to take Miami. Miami minus two. And then we're going to take UNLV plus 14 and a half. Got to find out who they're playing. But UNLV, again, not a good team. <laughs> and uh, they're getting 14 and a half points. They play tomorrow against Vanderbilt. How about that? In Vanderbilt. So I don't think Vanderbilt's a very good football team either. But we're going to take UNLV plus 14 and a half. Again, no rhyme or reason, folks. It just looks really good. It jumped out to me off the page. And here is the one. Here is the one blummer that you do not want to bet on. The Cleveland Browns plus one and a half or two, whatever you can get. So everybody's been on the Browns bandwagon all offseason. Not me. We don't have any Browns on. Oh, we, I guess we have Chubb on our on our team. Sometimes. But I have not been on the. Yeah, I have not. Oh, sometimes <laughs> I have not been on the Browns bandwagon at all this year. But everyone is on the Seattle Seahawks bandwagon. Russell Wilson's the greatest player in the universe. They're four and one. They just beat the Rams at home. They've got two extra days to prepare for the Browns. The Browns just got smoked on Monday Night Football, which is a day less. And the spread is one and a half or two. You know what that means? Take the Browns. (laughs) Take the Browns plus the points. That's all that means, folks. So you can, you know, yell at me on Twitter if I lose you the don't bet on it money. But that line smells, right? Am I right, Blummer? That it's, line stinks. It, it reeks all the way over here in Houston, and you're you're out there in California. So, yeah, I'm with you. That's right. So those are your games. Miami minus two against Miami. Let's say it again just for the statistics, <laughs> folks. Miami's two and three, and they're unranked. 
and they're giving up two points to Virginia, who's the 20th ranked team in four and one. What's wrong with that picture? UNLV plus 14 and a half. They're traveling all the way across the country to Nashville to play Vanderbilt, getting two touchdowns and a hook. And I'm going to take the Browns. I like the Browns plus two because that's great, but they might be one and a half by the time the game starts. Guess what? I'm taking the Browns. So that's it, folks. Those are your three games for the week. Don't bet on it. That's right. You heard it here first. David Tuttle making the picks, but don't bet on it. Uh, but his winning percentage speaks for itself. And we're moving into the middle of the season. And I just want to remind everybody that we do have a website. It's bleacherblums.com. And we got to give a shout out to Just Geek It Solutions. They are an IT and computer repair com company located in Houston. They have over 40 years in providing excellent customer service. And Tuttle and I can attest to that because we don't know how to set up a website and they have done a very good job in helping us out and making that happen. And we want to give them a shout out. If you want to find out how to get a hold of them, you can give them a call at 281-826-4357, or you can visit them online by going to justgeekitsolutions.com. All right, so thanks to Just Geek It for getting us going and keeping us out there and keeping things alive. You can also check out on our website, bleacherblums.com, not just some of the swag, but you can also find out more about Tuttle. You can also get all of the podcasts. It has a link to all of the archives. And quick Blum and Blummer today. Huh. I expected the Rocky Mountains to be a little rockier than this. I was thinking the same thing. Jeff Blum's full of shit, man. I've got bad news, folks. The Astros won the division series. I know this is heartbreaking. They're going to move on, but actually, it's good news, bad news. What do you want first, Tuttle? The good news or the bad news? Uh, the good news. The good news is is that you no longer have the SF F, SF FS. I went San Francisco. Uh, the Fox Sports One broadcasters, Joe Girardi and AJ Pruszynski and Kenny Albert are no longer with you. They are done. That was their only series they were going to work. So there you go. There's your good news, Astros fans. Bad news? It is now time for the Joe Buck, John Smoltz show to roll into town. Uh, good luck with that. That's all I'm going to leave right there. I'm just going to warn you and let you know that you are now done with uh, the AJ Girardi uh, situation, and now you've got Joe Buck and John Smoltz. I'm a fan of John Smoltz. We have some great conversations. I think he brings some pretty good content, and he's a, he's a smart guy, does his homework. I know how everybody else feels about Joe Buck, and I'll just leave it right there. Um, the other thing I want to talk about in Blum and Blummer, Texas is one wild place, man. I woke up this morning, took my daughters to school. It was 77 degrees with humidity. Relative temperature, maybe 82, 83 degrees. So when my daughters went to first their first class, it, it was 77, 80 degrees. When I go pick them up here in about 10, 15 minutes, it's 65 degrees. So what a world we live in down here in Texas where not only do you get the best barbecue and cowboy hats, you get three seasons in one day. And not to mention we had a thunderstorm earlier in the morning. So good times out here out in Texas. I know you're missing this, Tuttle. Yeah, bizarro world. I mean, everywhere I know and everywhere I've been, it's colder in the morning and colder in the evening than it is during the middle of the day. And I think that has something to do with the sun, that big glowing orb that kind of rises and sets. <laughs> How can it be 77 degrees as the sun's coming up and 63 degrees when the sun is high in the sky? It makes no sense to me. 
So you're, you you said I made you nervous about the uh, gallery on the golf course. You're making me nervous. I, I I mean, not that I was planning on moving to Texas anytime soon, but you're not you're not a uh, you're not setting it up for success here. <laughs> yeah, it's a roller coaster ride out here, and I think that's something that really you know galvanizes the group down here that lives in Houston. We all get together and commiserate on how hot it is, how you can have three seasons in one day, and we're having that today. And that's going to do it for Blum and Blummer. It's also going to do it for Bleacher Blums. T- Tuttle brought the absolute content and thunder with this one. It's been outstanding. But it's that point in the show where we actually reach out and, you know, say thank you to the military who is abroad and at home protecting us from harm. But also, especially right now, and Tuttle might be able to speak to this a little bit, is the first responders. There's another wildfire going on in California. I wish there was a way to circumvent this, avoid this, but man, it is devastating out there in this in California right now with the wildfires just north of LA. But I have a lot of fire friend, uh, firefighter friends, and uh, we thank you for putting yourself out there and trying to contain these blazes when they get going and protect people's homes and properties. But uh, shout out to the first responders and best wishes and prayers to everybody out there fighting that uh, California wildfire again. Yeah, I think it's going to be a a common theme every year. But uh, I will say, like you said, having the first responders and the firefighters out there makes us less nervous. Uh, It's it's become kind of the thing about hearing about a rainstorm in Houston here, flooding and um, and I, I, I can't equate the two cause I haven't experienced both, but I'm, I'm much less nervous. Obviously you got to pick your house, uh, you know, pick your house carefully and all the other th- factors you have control over, but, uh, they do a great job of protecting, uh, any area that has residents in it. And, uh, I, I, you know, obviously it makes me feel much more comfortable. Um, my shout out today was to, uh, Dakota Meyer was on Joe Rogan this, uh, this week, Dakota Meyer was, uh, a, a Marine who was part of a huge firefight in, uh, I think, Ramadi, which is a, a fight that Jocko and a couple other guys have talked about. But I wanted to tell you that uh, he supports uh, Black Rifle Coffee. Black Rifle Coffee is actually started by veterans, and I love Black Rifle Coffee, so um, maybe they can become a sponsor one day. But they're out in Utah, and they are veteran-run, veteran-owned, but these guys specifically talked about the guys they fought with in Afghanistan and Iraq. And a lot of the guys on their, their teams and their units were Iraqis and Afghanis that were looking for a better way of life that really appreciated democracy. Well, guess what Black Rifle Coffee does? Black Rifle Coffee sponsors these guys that were in their battalions and, in their, and, and they fly them over and they let them work. So Black Rifle Coffee is now run oh. by these guys that fought side by side with our American soldiers. And so these guys are not just, you know, they're not just kind of, it's not eyewash like, hey, we're donating this and donating our time and doing this. They're bringing people over that believe in what they were doing over there to protect their uh, their freedoms. And they're, you know, they're sponsoring over here and they're, you know, American immigrants that are now working at Black Rifle Coffee Company. So I just thought that story was too good not to share. It's awesome. And uh, we need more companies like that. And that, that just, you know, makes me proud to be an American. And, and I love people that kind of, you know, actions speak louder than words that kind of believe in something and make it happen. I want to, I want to close by asking you about Joe Buck and maybe we'll bring that up next time because you kind of plowed through it and blum and blummer, but I I like Smoltzy as well. I think he's decent. Uh, I think Joe Buck strikes a chord with people. Obviously his dad was a great broadcaster. Uh, You work with a guy whose dad was a really good broadcaster as well. 
So it can't be that. I mean, Brenneman's the same thing, right? Brenneman's the Tom is the son of Marty. And so you have a lot of these guys that kind of stay in the family business, so to speak. But I, I think it must be Joe Buck's personality or the fact that he's got some off off air issues. I have no idea. But we can touch on that more as the uh, as the series go on, because uh, I don't know what it is about him, but he kind of gives me the willies as well. And you know you can get to the mailbag and tell Tuttle why, man, this this may flood the zone. But uh, if you want to get on mailbag and give us some ideas why Joe Buck irks you a little bit, let us know. And I know that sometimes it can be a little bit biased towards the East Coast, but uh, it's it's his job. He goes out there and does the play-by-play. Luckily, Smoltz is sitting next to him and has some uh, valuable opinions and valuable insight into the game of baseball. That's going to do it for Bleacher Blums. We appreciate the heck out of all of you who are listening. Somehow, some way, get on there, rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends about it because we want to grow with you. We want as many of you in the bleachers as we can get. And it's that time where we tell everybody, until we talk to you next time, make sure you get after it. Most of all, believe it. It's not a new alarm. It's like a new kill, new and it's